We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbi Nochaim HaLevi, the first piece in Hilchus Mechira. This is Perak Yud Gimel, Halacha Gimel. And in this piece, Rab Chaim explains a Halacha of Masna al Mashakosu Batorah, which is where someone makes a condition to violate a law of the Torah. So they make an agreement with someone else conditional upon them being able to violate one of the rules of the Torah. And there's a big debate in the Gemara whether this works or when it works. And the Rambam seems to contradict himself on this. So Rab Chaim's going to try to get to the root of this issue. The Rambam writes, If someone sells something to their friend on condition that there is no ona'a, which means that ordinarily the seller cannot overcharge by more than a sixth, but in this sale he makes a condition that he is able to overcharge as much as he wants. So yeshlo alav honaya. The rule is that ona'a does apply and the condition is suspended because he tried to make a condition against the rule of the Torah. So the rule of the Torah wins out. When does this apply? When a person just says to his friend, there is no ona'a in this case. Because then the buyer does not know exactly what he's forgiving. So he doesn't know how much he's being overcharged by and how much he's being asked to forgive. So then the condition does not work. And certainly if the seller said to the buyer, I'm condition that there is no ona'a in this sale, so that condition is certainly invalidated because there is ona'a. So he's denying the fact that there was ona'a and that's not going to work. So if the seller formulates it that there is no ona'a or the rules of ona'a don't apply, that condition is not going to work because it's contradicting the law of the Torah. But if he specifies a dollar amount, so if he says this object is worth $50 and I'm charging you 100 so now the buyer knows that it's $50 extra that he's paying, then there the condition does apply and the rules of Ona'a do not kick in. Because any condition which is made in financial agreements is valid because a person's able to forgive their own money. So if the buyer wants wants to give this person $50 and forgive the law of the Torah that he's violating, it's his choice to do so. So in a case where a person makes a condition against the laws of the Torah, but the other party knows exactly the dollar amount of how much they're forgiving, so that does work. Now the Lecha Mishnah asks that this halacha seems to contradict another halacha in the Rambam, in Hilcho Shemitah Perektes Halacha Yud, in a case where a lender loans money on condition that the the borrower is not going to annul the loan in Shemitah. So every seventh year, the borrower is able to annul the loan. And in this case, the lender makes a condition that he's not going to do so. So the Rambam rules, that condition is valid. Any condition in financial matters any time the person makes a condition having to do with money, the condition is valid because, again, the other party is able to forgive the money however they want. Now, here the Rambam does not limit this only to where the borrower knows how much he's forgiving and how much he's agreeing to pay back because it's possible in this loan that the borrower is going to pay back well before the next Shemitah, so he's not even going to need this condition in order to have to pay back. So when he makes the condition, 
condition that he's not going to use Shemitah to annul the loan, he's not actually agreeing to a specific dollar amount. Because again, if he's already paid back by the time Shemitah comes, so then anyways, he gave the money back to the lender. He doesn't need this condition to force him to pay. So when he agrees to the condition, he is not agreeing to a specific amount. It's unclear if he's going to have to pay or not. And still the Rambam says that since it's a financial matter, the condition takes effect. So this contradicts what the Rambam said here in Hilchus Mechira, that only if the buyer has a specific dollar amount that he knows he's forgiving, then the condition takes effect. But to just agree broadly that there is no ona'a without knowing exactly how much money he's overpaying, so the Rambam said that's not going to work. So these two halachas seem to contradict themselves. Basically, the Lecha Mishnah is asking that there is a general rule that if someone makes a condition against one of the rules of the Torah, the condition is invalidated. The rule of the Torah overrides it. But the exception is when it comes to financial laws. There, the two parties can agree on a condition even if it contradicts the rule of the Torah. But the Rambam presents that exception differently in two places. In Hilchoshmita, he applies it broadly, that any time the condition has to do with a financial matter, the two parties can agree to suspend the rules of the Torah. Whereas in Hilchoshmechira, he limits it only to a financial matter where the buyer or the borrower, the person who's going to be paying, knows exactly how much is being asked of them, a specific dollar amount, and they choose to to forgive it, so that's when the condition takes effect. So that's the question of the Lechem Mishnah. So Rab Chaim tries to answer with a conceptual distinction between the case of Shemitah versus the case of Ona'a. In the case of Shemitah, it is very clear that right now this person borrowed money, and there is a halacha that when Shemitah comes around, as it inevitably does, they could annul their obligation to repay this loan money. So all of that is very clear at the very moment when the lender gives the money to the borrower. So when the borrower agrees not to use the rule that Shemitah annuls loans, they are agreeing to a condition which is suspending the rule of the Torah of Shemitah, and at that moment, the borrower is agreeing to it. Now, as the Lecha Mishnah points out, it is possible that they're not going to need to use that at all, because if they do pay back the loan earlier, so then it's irrelevant their agreement not to rely on the rules of Shemitah. So it's possible that this condition is not going to be practically relevant, but theoretically the condition is always a valid condition because at the very moment when the person agreed to repay the loan, even after Shemitah, they were agreeing not to use the leniency of Shemitah and to repay the money that they owe as of the moment when they borrowed it even after Shemitah. So their agreement to follow the condition and suspend the rules of Shemitah is a valid agreement, even if in the end they don't end up using that condition in order to have to repay. But the fact that they agreed to the condition means that they did suspend the rules of the Torah and still it applies. Now, if they pay back earlier, that's just a practical matter that in the end the condition was not used. But it doesn't change the basic case of the halacha. So that's why the Rambam says, says that regardless of what ends up happening, the rule of Shemitah was suspended and the Tanai, the condition, takes effect. As opposed to in the case of Ona'a, 
if the person sells an object to the buyer and he says there is no ona'a, so the buyer does not know what he's agreeing to at all because it's possible that there is actually no ona'a. Maybe the object is worth $100 and he's selling it for $100, in which case the whole condition is totally irrelevant, not just practically, but even theoretically. He didn't agree to anything. He agreed to pay $100 without ona'a and he has no idea whether there was ona'a or not. It's possible that there was ona'a and he actually agreed not to follow the rule of the Torah and to pay well above the actual price, or it's possible that there was no onah at all and he actually paid the fair price, in which case there was no condition that violated the rules of the Torah. So when the buyer agrees to pay this price and not to follow the rules of onah, he does not know if he's actually agreeing to suspend the rules of the Torah or not. So that's why it doesn't take effect unless he knows the dollar value you and knows that he is suspending and overriding the rules of Onah. So Rab Chaim says that this is a very nice conceptual distinction between the cases, but it goes against the Gemara in Makos Daf Gimel, as the Lecha Mishnah himself points out, the Gemara there compares the two halachas of Shemitah and Onah together, that if you hold, you can make a Tanai that's valid in a case of Mamon, so it applies to both halachas. So how can the Rambam differentiate between the rulings in these two halachas? So Rab Chaim answers that in fact the Rambam does not follow the Gemara in Makos because he holds that it follows a different view than the actual Halacha. The Gemara in Makos is going according to Shmuel and he holds in Bab Metziah Dafnun Aleph that the main factor in whether this condition is valid is whether Vadai Ka'akar Hadivrei Torah, whether the rule of the Torah is definitely with certainty going to be violated. So in order for the condition to be valid, it needs to be understood that the rules of the Torah are certainly going to be violated in this case, and the buyer or the borrower agree. So if that's the criteria, then in fact, Shemitah and Onah are exact parallels. Because it's not a total certainty that the rules of Shemitah are practically going to be suspended. As Rab Chaim said, even though the borrower is agreeing theoretically to violate the rule of Shemitah, but practically it's unclear if that's needed because if they repay the loan earlier, so then we don't even need this condition. So it's not clear on a practical level that the rules of Shemitah are being violated. So in that regard, Onah and Shemitah are exact parallels. It could be that the rules are going to be violated or it could be that they're not going to be violated. So that's why Shmuel, who says that the criteria is whether the rules of the Torah are going to be violated on a practical level, so he holds that Shemitah and Onah are exact parallels. In Rab Chaim's language, even though when it comes to Shemitah, certainly the condition did take effect. So it's clear that the borrower is suspending the rules of Shemitah. But whether the rules of the Torah are actually going to be suspended practically is still a suffix. 
fake, so Shemitah and Onah are the same. As opposed to the Rambam's criteria that he follows, which is that the borrower or the buyer needs to know that they are forgiving some amount of money. So that's a different criteria. It's not that the rules of the Torah are actually going to be suspended. It's that the borrower or the buyer agrees to suspend the rules in this case. So it's on a theoretical level. So there, as Rab Chaim said, there's a fundamental distinction between Shemitah versus Onah. When it comes to Shemitah, by definition, agreeing to suspend the rules of Shemitah means that the borrower knows that he's suspending the rules because at the very moment when he borrowed, he has to repay and Shemitah is coming. So he automatically knows that he is suspending the rules and by agreeing to that, the condition is valid. As opposed to Ona'a where he does not know for sure that this is a case of Ona'a and that he's agreeing to suspend it. So there, the condition is not valid unless the buyer knows the dollar amount that he's agreeing to forgive. So the Rambam has a different criteria from Shmuel and that explains the distinction between the Rambam's rulings and the Gemara in Makos. The Gemara in Makos follows Shmuel that the the key factor is that the buyer or the borrower needs to know that the rules of the Torah are definitely going to be violated on a practical level. Otherwise, they don't fully agree to this condition. So in that regard, both Shemitah and Onah are the same thing. It's unclear whether they're actually practically going to be violated. The Rambam follows the other criteria that the buyer or the borrower has to know what they're doing on a theoretical level. So following that, any condition in Shemitah is a valid condition because the borrower knows exactly what he's doing, as opposed to Onah, where the buyer is not clear about what he's doing unless he knows the dollar amount. So that is the explanation for the Rambam's distinction between these two cases. Now, Rab Chaim points out that Tosfos in the Gemara and Ksubis Peidalid seems to disagree. The Gemara there is discussing the position of Rav, which is the other position against Shmuel, what he holds about these halachas. So Rav ruled that if a man married a woman on condition that he's not going to inherit her, so again, he is stipulating in a financial case against the Torah, that t'na'okayim, the condition is valid. So it sounds like according to Rav, a t'nai can override a financial law of the Torah. So the Gemara asks, what about in the case of Ona'a, where if the person sells something on condition that there's no Ona'a, Rav rules that the T'nai is invalidated and the rules of Ona'a do apply. So Rav seems to be contradicting himself. So Tosfos asks that the Gemara in Bab Metziah already deals with a similar issue and it differentiates according to Rav that in fact he does follow the view of Rabbi Yehuda that a stipulation in a financial case can override the law of the Torah, but that's only when the person knows what they are forgiving. So the other party agrees to pay money against the law of the Torah, and that they could agree to. But if they don't know what they're forgiving, so then the condition is invalidated. So Tosos asks, why can't we apply the same distinction from Bab Metziah in this Gemara and Ksubis as well? The husband who knows what he's forgiving, which is his wife's inheritance, so that condition is valid. But in the case of Ona'a, where the buyer does not know what they're forgiving, so the condition is invalidated. So Tosfos answers that distinction is not going to work because in the case of the husband, he also does not know what he's forgiving, even though he knows the dollar amount of what the inheritance is worth. 
But he doesn't know maybe he's going to die before his wife and the whole thing is going to be irrelevant. So when he forgives the inheritance, he doesn't know whether that's practically going to be relevant because if she dies first, then the condition is going to affect his finances. But if he dies first, so then anyways, he would not have inherited it. So the whole thing is irrelevant. So the case of the husband forgiving his wife's inheritance is similar to the case of Shemitah where the borrower agrees not to use the Shemitah to annul the loan. In both cases, we don't know whether the case is ever going to be relevant because maybe the borrower is going to pay back before Shemitah and maybe the husband is going to die before the wife. So according to Tosvos, the case of the husband forgiving the inheritance is also a case where he does not know exactly what he's forgiving. And that's why the Gemara compares it to the case of Onaa. Says Rab Chaim, according to his explanation in the Rambam, there is a very fundamental difference between the case of the husband and the case of Onaa. Because when the husband marries the wife, at that very moment, he would be eligible to inherit her. And at that moment, he is forgiving the inheritance. So he is agreeing to a real condition, which is different than Onaa. In Onaa, the buyer doesn't know whether there was Onaa and whether he's actually agreeing to anything or not. That's Rab Chaim's whole distinction between Shemitah versus Onaa. So the same is true of the husband versus Onaa. The husband, even though he might die before the wife and not practically inherit, her, but that doesn't change that at the moment that he gets married, he stands to inherit her and he is agreeing to a condition not to have the right to inherit her. So he is theoretically agreeing to a condition. So according to Rab Chaim, Tosos's answer is not going to work. And we're back to the question. Why doesn't the Gemara differentiate within Rav that even though the Onaa stipulation is invalidated because the buyer doesn't know whether he's actually agreeing to any Tanai, but even so the husband's Tanai should still be a valid Tanai because he knows that he is agreeing to give up his wife's inheritance. So according to Rab Chaim's interpretation and distinction within the Rambam, Tosfos's comparison of these two cases of Onaa and the husband is not going to work. So Rab Chaim says that there is another answer to Tosos's question, which is a much more technical answer. The Ramban in the Milchamos on the Rif. So he answers Tosos's question that the Gemara in Ksubis is following the view of Abaya in Baba Metziah. And Abaya interprets Rav in Baba Metziah that he follows the view of Rabbi Meir that a condition on the law of the Torah is nullified even in financial cases. So Rabbi Meir holds that there is no way to make a condition against the rules of the Torah, even if it has to do with financial cases. And Rav, according to Abaya, agrees with him. So Tosus's question was from the other interpretation in the Gemara in Bab-Metziah, that Rav follows the view of Rabbi Yehuda, but according to Abaya, so the Gemara in Ksubis is asking a very good question. Rav holds that no condition against any law of the Torah, even financial, is going to take effect. So how could Rav hold that the husband could agree not to inherit his wife, which goes against the laws of the Torah. So the Rambam could interpret the Gemarion Subis along the lines of the Ramban and not like Tosvos. So even though Tosvos' distinction is not going to work for the Rambam, the Rambam will explain that Gemara like the Ramban's answer and not like Tosvos. And Rab Chaim brings a proof to this from the Rambam's language in Hochus Ishos, Perak Yudbeis, Halacha the Rambam rules, If the husband makes a condition 
condition with the wife after he married her that he won't inherit her. So to know, but that condition is negated. He cannot make such a condition. Even though it's a financial case and ordinarily the Rambam holds that one can make a condition against the Torah in financial cases, but that's different because it says mishpat that this is the rule a person cannot get out of it. So the Rambam says explicitly that the husband inheriting his wife is a stronger halacha because the Torah bolsters it with lechukas mishpat. So that's why he cannot make a condition to violate that rule. But if not for lechukas mishpat, on a purely theoretical level, the husband inheriting his wife would be like any other financial law that if he makes a t'nai not to do it, so the t'nai would take effect. Now, according to Tosfos, that should not be true because since the husband does not know whether he's going to die first or not, so he's not actually agreeing to anything. So why should the condition take effect? So the fact that the Rambam holds the condition would take effect shows that he disagrees with Tosvos. He holds that even though the husband might die first, so he's not practically agreeing to anything, but he is agreeing to the fundamental condition that the right of inheritance is not going to apply. And that right would have kicked in as soon as they got married. So by agreeing to suspend that rule, he is agreeing to something and the Tanai would have taken effect. So that's why the Rambam needs to say that Lechukas Mishpat prevents it from taking effect. But we see that fundamentally the Rambam disagrees with Tosos's idea that since the husband might die first, he's not agreeing to an actual suspension of the rules. According to the Rambam, he is agreeing even though he might die first because that means that practically he might might not end up inheriting her. But he is still agreeing to suspend the whole concept that he has the right to her inheritance. So this is the approach of the Rambam. But now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim asks a question because he's assuming in the Rambam that the case of Shemitah and the case of the husband are parallel. Says Rab Chaim, in fact, the husband's ability to agree to suspend the inheritance is stronger than the borrower's ability to suspend the laws of Shemitah because the husband is not agreeing to something in the future. He's actually agreeing to something right now because his right to inherit his wife is a part of the marriage. As Rab Chaim says, The husband's agreement to this condition is right now as a vadai. It's not a suffix that maybe she's going to die first. Even if he dies first, it's a vadai that he's suspending the rules of inheritance. Because the husband's inheritance of his wife comes about as an element of the marriage itself. So as soon as they get married, one of the components of that is that the husband inherits his wife. And the proof for this is the Gemara in Gitin Pehei that if a husband divorces his wife, except for the right of inheritance. So the one thing he wants to retain is that he continues to inherit her. So that is not a valid divorce. In Halacha, a divorce has to be a complete break. But if the husband wants to retain the right 
to her inheritance, so that undermines the entire divorce. So we see that the inheritance is a part of the marriage itself, such so that if the husband divorces the wife on condition that he retains the inheritance, they're still married on some level. So according to that, when the husband agrees not to inherit his wife, he is not agreeing to something that may happen in the future if she dies first. He's agreeing to suspension of part of the marriage right now. They are married, but with the exception of the inheritance component of it. So he's not agreeing to anything in the future. And this whole issue of whether he knows exactly what he's forgiving or whether he's going to die first, the whole thing is irrelevant because he's agreeing right now to suspend a part of their marriage. As opposed to the borrower in the case of Shemitah, he has no ability to suspend the Shemitah law right now. Only after Shemitah comes, he He's agreeing at that point that he won't suspend the law. But again, it might be irrelevant if he repays the loan before Shemitah comes. So according to this distinction, now there's a major difference between the husband and the borrower. The husband is agreeing to something in the moment as opposed to the borrower who's agreeing to something that he's not sure is going to happen. Now, Rab Chaim adds that earlier he had said there are two criterias for evaluating this. There's Shmuel's, which is Vadai Akar, that this condition is definitely going to override a rule of the Torah. And then there's Rav's, which is Yada Demachil, that the person knows what they're forgiving. So says Rab Chaim, according to what he just said, it's very clear that when it comes to Shemitah, Shmuel's criteria is not met. Because it's not clear that this condition is definitely going to change a rule of the Torah. Because again, the borrower might repay before Shemitah comes. So Shmuel's criteria is only met by the husband, not in the case of Shemitah. As opposed to Rav's criteria, where the person knows that they are forgiving a law of the Torah. So Rab Chaim earlier said that that is met not only by the husband, but also in the case of Shemitah. Now Rab Chaim questions that. Because he says, even according to Rav, it could be that Yada de Machil, the person knows they're forgiving something, only applies when the person knows that they are forgiving something in the moment. So in the case of the husband who knows that he's forgiving his right of inheritance, which should be happening right now, so we say that he's definitely changing a rule of the Torah, as well as knows what he's forgiving in the moment. But in the case of Shemitah, where the person does not know that they are necessarily changing something in the future, as the Gemara in Makos says, because it's possible that this condition is not going to change anything practically in the future. So maybe it also follows from that that there's no Yada de Machil. They don't know exactly what they're forgiving now either. So the two criteria work along similar lines. And when it comes to Shemitah, since the person does not know for sure that that they're changing the rules in the future, maybe they also don't forgive what's going on right now. So if there's no forgiveness built into the moment when the person actually borrows the money, so then the answer in the Rambam is not going to work. Rab Chaim's whole approach in the Rambam is that even though there's no vadai ka'akar, it's not clear that he's uprooting the law of Shemitah when he agrees not to use Shemitah before the year of Shemitah ever came. So it's not clear clearly changing the law, but it is
is Yada Demachil. The person knows at that moment that they are forgiving the ability to use Shemitah, which is something that's built into the case of the loan. So that's how Rab Chaim explained it. But now he's saying if there's no vadai ka'akar, if the person doesn't know for sure that they're giving up the ability to use Shemitah, so maybe it's not also considered yada demachil. We don't view it that they know what they're forgiving, especially compared to the case of the husband where he's definitely changing the rules of inheritance so he knows exactly what he's forgiving. So this question undermines Rab Chaim's answer in the Rambam. So Rab Chaim answers that first of all, it's not you do not have to say that Vadai Ka'akar and Yada Demachil follow the exact same lines. It could be that there's a difference between these two criteria. And then he formulates this more sharply that when it comes to Yada Demachil, the issue of whether the person knows what they're forgiving, it's irrelevant whether what they're forgiving is in the moment or in the future. That distinction of in the present versus the future is only relevant to Vadai Ka'akar, whether this condition is definitely going to change a rule of the Torah. So then we have to know, is that in the moment or is it in the future? Because if it's in the future, then maybe the situation is going to change and this condition is not actually going to change something in the future. So when it comes to Vadai Ka'akar, whether the condition applies to the present or to the future is an important issue. But when it comes to Yada Demachil, whether the person knows what they're forgiving, it's irrelevant whether it's in the moment or in the future because they know what they're forgiving. So the person who forgives the ability to use Shemitah to annul the loan understands that built into the loan that's happening at this moment is the ability to annul it later on using Shemitah and they are giving that up. So their decision to agree to this tonight, to this condition is not a suffix that maybe it's going to impact the situation. It's a vadai. They are definitely giving up that ability right now through this tonight. It is a question whether practically that's going to make a difference, but they are certainly giving that up as a vadai by agreeing to this tonight. So that's considered yada demachil. So this is Rab Chaim's framework to explain the Rambam. There's basically three cases and they go down in descending order of how much the person understands what they're agreeing to. The husband, not only does he agree to forgive the inheritance, but he's doing so right now. So that's yada demachil. He knows what he's forgiving and it's vadai it definitely changes the situation because it changes the nature of the marriage in the present. So the husband forgiving the inheritance meets the criteria of both Rav and Shmuel and the Tanai is going to be valid. Now this goes against Tosvos who holds that in the case of the husband, it's not clear what he's forgiving because he might die first. But according to the Rambam, he disagrees with Tosvos and he holds that the husband's forgiveness of the inheritance has the strongest ability to take effect because it's happening in the moment. Then the next case is Shemitah, where the borrower agrees not to annul the loan in Shemitah. So that is not Vadai Ka'akar. According to Shmuel, he doesn't know what he's doing because it has to impact the case financially, and that's only going to be clear at Shemitah time. But it's possible that the borrower is going to repay the loan beforehand, in which case the whole thing is irrelevant. So according to Shmuel, the Tanai cannot 
take effect. But according to Rav, the criteria is Yada de Machil. He knows what he's forgiving. And that takes effect as soon as the loan is given to the borrower. He has to repay it. So he understands that by agreeing to this condition, he's giving up the ability to annul it using Shemitah. So according to Rav, this condition is valid. And that's why the Rambam rules that in all cases, the condition is valid. Then there's the lowest case of Ona'a, where the buyer cannot agree to waive the right of Ona'a because they don't even know what they're giving up because they don't know if there is Ona'a to begin with or not. It's possible that there's no Ona'a or it's possible that there is Ona'a, but they're unclear whether they're waiving any right, so they're unable to agree to it according to anyone. Not only might it not impact the case financially, the buyer doesn't have any idea what they're forgiving. So that's why the Rambam rules that unless the buyer has a dollar amount that they're agreeing to overpay and to forgive from the laws of Ona'a, otherwise the condition is not going to be valid. So this explains the rulings of the Rambam and why there's not a contradiction from Ona'a to Shemitah and the husband. Now in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim explains what Tosfos' view is and why they disagree with the Rambam. So again, in the case of the husband, the Rambam, the way Rab Chaim explains it, holds that he knows what he's forgiving and he forgives it in the moment. So it's Vadai Ka'akar and Vadai Machil. Whereas Tosfos holds that the husband does not know what he's forgiving because if he dies first, so then this condition is not going to affect the situation at all. Anyways, he would not have inherited her. So it's not Vadai Ka'akar. And Tosfos said it's also not Yada de Machil. So Rab Chaim explains the debate between the Rambam and Tosfos is based on how to understand what is the problem if the person is not Yada de Machil. They don't know what they're forgiving. How does that impact this halacha that the condition, the tnai, is invalid? So there's two ways to formulate this. Either if the person does not know what they're forgiving, what they're agreeing to, so there's a problem in the whole condition. A condition means that both parties are agreeing to this tnai, but if the person doesn't know what it is that they're forgiving, so there's an issue in the whole tnai to begin with. This is not a valid condition. Forget about whether the tnai is against the law of the Torah, even if it's not masna mashakasuv Torah. So there is no issue in the tnai itself. The person is not trying to go against the law of the Torah. They're just making a regular tnai, a regular condition about something, anything. And the other party does not know exactly what they're agreeing to. So that is going to be an invalid tnai because there was no mutual agreement of the parties. So the whole tnai is undermined. That's the first way to formulate this. Or the other possibility is that there is no issue in the tnai. The condition is totally valid, even though the other person is fuzzy, they don't exactly understand what they're agreeing to. But that does not affect the actual tnai. This is a problem specifically in the Masnal Mashakosuv Batora realm. Because ordinarily, if someone makes a tnai against the law of the Torah, so the law of the Torah overrides the tnai, and the tnai is invalidated. Now, there is an exception when it comes to financial laws, so there the tnai 
is valid because the two parties could agree that they're going to suspend the rules of the Torah and the buyer can agree to pay more money. So a person's allowed to forgive their own money even if it goes against the rules of the Torah. But all of that only applies when they know what they're forgiving. If the person is not yada de machil, they don't know what they are forgiving. So now we're back to the original problem that since they didn't forgive it, so now this is a tenai which goes against the rules of the Torah. And the whole exception of Dabr Shem and Mamon only applies when the buyer knows what they're forgiving. But if they don't know what they're forgiving, so now the exception of Dabr Shem and Mamon falls off. It's back to a regular tenai which goes against the rule of the Torah. So the rule of the Torah overrides the condition. So that's the second formulation of the issue. If the person is not Yod HaDemachil, they don't know what they're forgiving. Says Rab Chaim, these two sides are the debate between the Rambam and Tosvos. The Rambam holds that Lo Yod HaDemachil, not knowing what the person's forgiving, is an issue in the Masnal Mashikosu Batora realm. It's not a problem that undermines the whole Tanai. The Tanai is valid. But the issue is that now this Tanai is conflicting against the law of the Torah. So says the Rambam, that only applies to Ona'a, where the person does not know if they're forgiving a law of the Torah at all. Because it's possible that there's no Ona'a in this whole sale to begin with. So when the person forgives the Ona'a, they're not actually forgiving a rule of the Torah, in which case the whole Tanai can never take effect, because now there's no agreement from the buyer. And without that, it's back to being a Masna Mashkosuba Torah, so the Tanai is invalid. But that doesn't apply to Shemitah and the husband because in those cases, even though the person is not totally sure that this condition is going to have practical ramifications, so it's not vadai ka'akar. They don't know that this condition is going to affect the financial situation because it's possible that things are going to change by the time Shemitah comes or by the time the wife dies. So it's not totally clear that this condition is going to have practical ramifications but even so, when the borrower or the husband agrees to the Tanai, they understand what it is that they're forgiving. They're giving up the rule of the Torah that the husband inherits or that Shemitah can annul the vow. So since they give up that rule and they agree to it, so that's a valid condition and it takes effect even against the rules of the Torah because the normal exception of Dabr Shem and Mamon, Tana'o Kayim, kicks in. So since this is a financial arrangement and the person affected agreed to forgive their money, so they're able to do so and the Tanai takes effect. So that's why the Rambam differentiates between Ona'a versus Shemitah and the husband based on his understanding of why it's necessary for the person to understand what they're forgiving, that it has to do with the Masna Mashikosu Torah issue, that the person has to understand that they are forgiving the right that the law of the Torah gave them and they agree to that, they forgive their financial right and they're able to do so. Tosvos, on the other hand, understands that if the person doesn't know what they're forgiving, so that's a broader issue. It's not about the Masna Mashkosu Torah. The whole Tanai is undermined because there was no agreement between the two parties. So that's why Tosvos holds that the criteria of Vadai Ka'akar, knowing that this condition is definitely going to have practical ramifications in the future, is a identical with the criteria of Yad that he knows
knows what he's forgiving because that's the same thing. If the person is not sure whether this is going to have real financial ramifications, so that's the same as saying that they didn't fully agree to this, so the whole tnai is undermined because it doesn't meet the criteria of a valid condition that they both agreed to. So even though the person knows that they're agreeing to suspend a rule of the Torah, which for the Rambam is enough to be considered yada demachil, they know what they're forgiving. According to Tosos, it's not enough. They need to know and agree that they're actually giving up real money. It's not enough to just say that this is going to violate the Torah in the abstract. They have to know how it's going to affect them and agree to it. Otherwise, they're not fully agreeing to the condition. And without the agreement of both parties, there is no condition. So that is the debate between the Rambam and Tosfos. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the rulings of the Rambam and to explain this halacha of Masna Mashikosu Torah. The key conceptual points that Rab Chaim develops are first of all the distinction between Rav and Shmuel's criteria, between Vadai Ka'akar and Yoda Demachil. According to Rab Chaim, the Rambam differentiates that if something is not Vadai Ka'akar, so it's not clearly going to have financial ramifications, it could still be considered Yoda Demachil that the person knows they are forgiving a financial right that they have, and especially if they know that they are forgiving the law of the Torah. So that is sufficient in order to establish the Tanai according to Rav, even though Shmuel disagrees and requires there to be a practical ramification that the person knows they're giving up. The second point Rab Chaim develops is that a husband's right to his wife's inheritance is baked into the marriage itself. So it's not something that comes about in the future after she dies, but it's part of the marriage itself. So putting these two ideas together, Rab Chaim says that there are three levels. A husband agreeing to give up his wife's inheritance meets both criteria because he knows what he's giving up and he's giving it up right now in the moment that this is not part of the marriage. The second case is where the borrower gives up Shemitah's ability to annul the loan. So that meets the criteria that the borrower knows what he's giving up. He's giving up one of the rules of the Torah, but it's not a certain practical ramification because if he pays back before Shemitah, then the whole thing's irrelevant. And then the third case is Ona'a, where the buyer agrees to overpay. So that does not meet either criteria because it's possible there's no Ona'a, in which case he's not forgiving anything and it has no practical ramifications. And then Rab Chaim adds that Tosos and the Rambam have different understandings of the basis of this halacha. According to Tosos, if the buyer doesn't know what they're forgiving, so there's no agreement as to the condition itself. Whereas according to the Rambam, they agree on the condition, but since it contradicts a rule of the Torah, so the rule of the Torah overrides the condition. And then putting this together, Ab Chaim explains that according to Tosfos, whether there's practical ramifications is the same thing as the person knowing what they're forgiving. Because if they don't know the amount of money they're giving up, then we can't say that they agreed to the condition. Whereas the Rambam holds that if the person knows they're giving up one of the rules of the Torah, even if they don't know the exact financial cost of that, because it's possible that it won't have ramifications, but even so, that's enough of an agreement that they agree to suspend the laws of the Torah and it takes effect. Now, there's some interesting discussion in the other commentators about some of the issues that Rab Chaim discusses in this piece. And particularly, I want to go through how Rab Chaim has a totally different view of this halacha than the Ktsos. So the Ktsos in Simen Reish Chav Zayin, Sifka and Ches, 
quotes a debate between the Sma versus the Ir Shushan, the Levush, as to why a Tanai, that there's no Ona'a, is Batel. What is the problem with the condition that the rules of Ona'a shouldn't apply? So according to the Sma, it's because the buyer is lo yada umachil. He does not know what it is that he's forgiving. Now, it's worth just pointing out, the Sma begins with the same question of the Lecha Mishnah that Rab Chaim begins with, which is what's the difference between Ona'a and Shemitah? And the Sma gives a very simple answer that when it comes to Shemitah, it's Yada Ummachil. The borrower knows what he's forgiving. As opposed to Ona'a, which is Lo Yada Ummachil, the buyer does not know what he's forgiving, so he's unable to agree to the Tanai. So that's the Sma's very simple answer. Now, the Lecha Mishnah, followed by Rab Chaim, rejects that answer because he points out that even in the case of Shemitah, the borrower does not really know what he's forgiving because if he repays the loan before Shemitah, then the Tanai is anyways irrelevant. So according to the Lecha Mishnah, both of these cases, the borrower and the buyer do not exactly know what they're forgiving. But the Sma believes that the whole basis of the Halacha, that there can be no Tanai in the case of Ona'a, is all based on Lo Yada Umachil, that since the buyer doesn't know if there's Ona'a, so he's unable to agree to the Tanai. But the Irshushan, the Levush, disagrees, and he holds that the basis of it is Masna Mashkosu because the Tanai contradicts the halacha of the Torah. So now the Sma questions the Levush very interestingly, and he says that a Tanai against the rules of Ona'a is not actually contradicting the Torah because the seller is asking the buyer to agree to overpay and to forgive the extra money. So it's not a Tanai that contradicts the Torah. So the Sma and the Levush have very different views of this halacha. According to the Sma, this is not an issue where the Tanai contradicts contradicts the halacha because the seller is asking the buyer to agree to overpay. So the only issue is that the buyer is unable to agree because he doesn't know what he's agreeing to. Whereas the lavush holds that the issue is that the seller is making a tanai and that condition contradicts a halacha of the Torah, so the tanai is batal. Now, the Tzos defends the view of the lavush and he points to an earlier discussion that he had in Simon Reish Tess, Sifkat and Yud Aleph, where he discussed why it is that a person is able to forgive and agree to Tanai, even though it contradicts the Torah. So the Tzos developed that there are two different approaches to this. There's the Nemuke Yosef and the Rashba. They hold that in fact, no one can ever agree to a condition which contradicts a halacha. That's impossible. No one's able to override a halacha. The way this works is that if the person knows what they're agreeing to, so then they're able to create almost like a new transaction. They're unable to agree to pay more than what the Torah allowed, but they're able to forgive the money, so it's like a new transaction. There's the actual sale, and then there's another transaction over and above that where the person agrees to pay extra. So that's the first formulation. Then he quotes that Rashi and the Ramban have a different formulation. They believe that a person is able to create a Tanai even though it contradicts the Torah because when it comes to financial laws, so the Torah built in that this is the rule unless the other 
other party agrees to waive that right. So the Torah is saying that a person can't overcharge unless the buyer agrees to it, in which case the tnai does take effect and the sale works as one unified sale, even though it contradicts the official halacha of the Torah, because that's built into the Torah that it allows this sort of tnai when it comes to financial law and the other party agrees. So now applying this debate, the Tzos says that the debate between the Sma and the Levush later in Simon Reish Chav Zion is very similar. The Levush holds that even if the buyer agrees to the condition, it still does not change the law of the Torah and the sale cannot go forward as planned. So that's the view of the Rashba and the Nemuke Yosef that even if the other party agrees, still the Halacha remains unchanged. And the only way to do this is through Mechila if the person agrees to do like a new transaction, to forgive this money and give it to the seller over and above the sale. So that's the view of the Levush. Whereas the Sma holds, like Rashi and the Ramban, that once the buyer agrees to the condition, so the issue of Masna Mashkosuba Torah, of contradicting the Torah, goes away. So that is not an issue. They're able to carry out this sale as they wanted to. The only issue is that the buyer doesn't know what he's agreeing to because he doesn't know what the Ona'a is in this case. So that's why the Sma says that everything depends on Yada Umachil, whether the buyer knows what he's forgiving. Now, Rab Chaim has a third approach to this halacha. He does not fit into the Sma or to the Lavush the way the Ktsos sets this up. Because it's clear that Rab Chaim follows the approach of Rashi and the Ramban that once the buyer agrees to the condition, it's built into the Tanai itself. It's not an additional transaction of Mechila, but it's built into the Tanai itself because that's Rab Chaim's whole approach. That when the borrower agrees to suspend the rule of Shemitah, he's agreeing in the moment to change the nature of the loan. So he's agreeing to a tnai that's going to happen right now. That's how Rab Chaim explains the difference between Shemitah and Ona'a. So it cannot be that the borrower is agreeing to something which is going to happen later on after Shemitah. That would be the way the Rashba formulates it. That would not work according to Rab Chaim. It would not explain the difference between Shemitah versus Ona'a. So according to Rab Chaim, when the borrower or the buyer agrees, it changes the nature of the transaction itself, not that there's a new mechila going on. Now, on the other hand, Rab Chaim certainly does not agree with the view of the Sma that everything depends on Yada Umachil. That's in fact the way he explains Tosfos, that the whole issue of Yada Umachil is whether there's agreement between the parties. But in the Rambam, Rab Chaim explains that Yada Umachil affects the Masna Mashikosu Batora Halacha. So that's like the formulation of the Levush. So Rab Chaim has a third formulation of this Halacha. On the one hand, when the parties agree to the Tanai, they're changing the nature of this transaction. But the issue with that is that it conflicts with the Halacha. So that's Masna Mashikosu Batora. That's the basis for the problem in this case. And that's why in Shemitah it goes away because since the person is agreeing to it right now, so the Torah allows that. Now, related to this, the Tzos in the next piece, so Simon Reish Chav Zayin Sifkatan Tess, writes that in the case where a person makes a condition that there's no ona'a. So again, the Gemara says that the condition is ineffective because the buyer doesn't know what they're agreeing to. So the way the Tzos understands this is that inherently the buyer does want to agree to this condition. So they did fundamentally agree to waive their right to ona'a, but since they didn't know what they were agreeing to, so that's mechila 
Libetost. It was a mistaken forgiveness, so it doesn't take effect. So basically, the seller said this sale is on condition that there's no rules of Ona'a, and the buyer agreed to that, but it was a mistaken forgiveness. So that's why it doesn't work, and that's why the seller has to return the overcharge. Now, the Tzos adds, if the overcharge is exactly a sixth, so the halacha is kana umachzir Ona'a, that the sale is final, but the seller has to return the overcharge. If it's more than a sixth, then the whole sale falls apart. But if it's exactly a sixth, so then the sale is final, but the seller does have to return the extra money. Says the Ktsos, in this case though, where he sold it on condition that the rules of Ona'a don't apply, and then the condition fell apart because the buyer was unable to agree to it. So now if the buyer asks for the extra money of the overcharge back, then the whole sale falls apart. Because since the buyer is asking for the money back, and the seller did not intend to sell unless the rules of Ona'a don't apply. So once that part of the condition fell apart, the seller could say, I didn't want to sell at all. And that doesn't contradict the Torah. The Torah never forced him to sell. So now the condition does kick in and it undermines, it nullifies the entire sale to begin with. That's the view of the Ktsos. Now, the Nesivis in Sifkat and Yud Gimel disagrees, and he understands that when the Gemara says that if the buyer doesn't know what he's forgiving, it doesn't work, it's not that it's a mistaken mechila, it's that the buyer never really intended to forgive to begin with because he doesn't know what he's forgiving. So he never actually forgave the extra money. So that's why the whole Tanai falls apart, because it totally contradicts the Torah. The seller is not agreeing in any way to this suspension of Ona'a. So now the halacha of Ona'a kicks in and removes the Tanai. So that's why the seller has to return the extra sixth. And he doesn't have the option to nullify the whole sale because the only way he could do that is based on the Tanai. And this Tanai contradicts the Torah. So the Tanai can't help him in any way. So the sale is final and the seller has to return the sixth according to the Nesivos. So that's the debate between the Ktsos and Nesivos. Now, Reb David Pavarsky and his Shi'urim on Bab Metziah and Aleph Hamid Beis, so he points out that Rab Chaim disagrees agrees with the approach of Diktsos. Because in the Rambam, Rab Chaim understands that if the buyer doesn't know exactly what he's forgiving, so it's a problem of Masna Mashikosu Torah. so that means that the Tanai is Batel, and it can't help the seller negate the sale. And even in Tosfos, who according to Rab Chaim has a broader application of this, he holds that if the buyer doesn't know what he's forgiving, so there was no agreement between the two parties, but the way Rab Chaim formulates it, the whole Tanai is negated because since the buyer didn't agree to it, so the whole Tanai never gets off the ground. But if there's no Tanai, so then there's no reason to nullify the sale. So Rab Chaim agrees practically with the Nesivos that there is no Tanai which would nullify the sale. Now, Rab Chaim doesn't formulate it exactly like the Nesivos. The Nesivos says that since the buyer is not agreeing to this Mechila to forgive the extra money, so the only thing that remains is the Tanai, and since that contradicts the Halacha, so the Tanai is nullified. Rab Chaim, at least in Tosvos, formulates it a little differently, that since the buyer is not fully in agreement, so the whole Tanai never gets off the ground because a Tanai means that both parties agree. So if there's no Tanai, then there's nothing to negate the sale. So either way, this is a very interesting discussion of how Rab Chaim fits into this debate between the Ktsos and the Nesivis. Now, Rab Iser Zalman in 
the Evan Azal, so he suggests another answer for the Lechem Mishnah's question that Rab Chaim deals with. And that is that he differentiates there are two types of conditions in Halacha. One is that the person says, if this condition is not met, so then the whole transaction is off. So I'm doing this transaction with the following condition. If the condition can't be met, so then there's no transaction to begin with. Or the other way to say it is that the person says, this is my transaction and built into the transaction is the following condition. So there's a limitation in the transaction that it only applies when the condition is met. So now says Rabbi Sir Zalman, when a person sells an object on condition that there's no ona'a, they don't mean that if the buyer comes back and demands the overpriced money, the whole transaction is off because they don't want it that way. They want to sell this object and they want it to be final. So what they mean is that they're selling the object, but they're limiting the rules of ona'a that they don't apply in this sale. So that is a problem of Masna Mashkosubat Torah because they're directly contradicting the halacha of the Torah. So that's why the Rambam limits that they can only do that if the buyer knows exactly the dollar amount that they're forgiving. Otherwise, it's a problem because the seller is doing a sale which contradicts the halacha. So the whole tanai is off. As opposed to in the case of Shemitah, where the person means the other form of a tanai. They mean to say, I'm loaning this money on condition that the borrower does not use the rules of Shemitah to get out of repaying. But if they do use Shemitah to get out of repaying, so then the whole loan is canceled from the get-go. So now they have to pay back because they have the lender's money. So that's the way that type of Tanai works. So that actually does not contradict the Torah. The person is not creating a new form of a loan that contradicts the Torah's rule that Shemitah cancels the loan. The person agrees to that rule. They're just saying that if the borrower takes advantage of that, so then the whole loan is canceled to begin with. So now the borrower just has their money and has to pay them back and there's no leniency of Shemitah. So that's why there's no problem of Masna Mashkosubat Torah in the laws of Shemitah. So that's a very nice answer from Rabbi Sir Zalman to explain the distinction in the Rambam. Now, he also deals with the Lechem Mishnah's issue that the Gemara in Makos compares the case of Shemitah and Onah. So Rabbi Sir Zalman answers similar to Rabbi Chaim that that Gemara follows the view of Shmuel, but according to Rav, that when it comes to Onah, the Tanai is Batel because it contradicts the Halacha, so it could be that Shemitah is not the same and when it comes to Shemitah, the Tanai does work because again, as Rabbi Sir Zalman said, it does not contradict the halacha. So that's Rabbi Isser Zalman's approach. And Rabbi David Pavarsky points out again that Rabbi Isser Zalman also disagrees with the Ktsos because according to Rabbi Isser Zalman, in the case of Ona'a, the sale is final. It does go through. But he tried to limit it that the rules of Ona'a would not apply and that did not work. Whereas according to the Ktsos, since the rules of Ona'a do apply, so the whole sale is off. So Rabbi Sir Zalman agrees with Rabbi Chaim and the Nesivas on this issue as well. Now, even though Rabbi Sir Zalman sees the case of Ona'a similar to Rabbi Chaim, but obviously he's disagreeing in the case of Shemitah, that's the whole difference between their two approaches, that according to Rabbi Sir Zalman, when the lender makes a condition that Shemitah is not going to cancel this loan, it does not change the fundamental type of the loan. So it's 
not conflicting with the rules of the Torah. Whereas Rab Chaim obviously believes that Shemitah and Onah are the same, that when the person makes a Tanai which contradicts the rules of the Torah, so in both cases they're creating a new situation which does not follow the way the Torah sets up this case. So according to Rab Chaim, it's built into the actual loan and it's built into the actual sale. And that's why he has to explain why it takes effect. And according to Rab Chaim, it's because the borrower agrees to it in the moment, knowing exactly what he's agreeing to. It fits the criteria of Rav of Yada Ummachel. So that's the debate between Rab Chaim and Rabbi Sir Zalman, how to make sense of this halacha in the case of the Tanai in Shemitah. Now, in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbi Nochaim Alevi, so they quote that Rabbi Moshe Feinstein in the Dibris Moshe, but Metziah Chelek Bey's Simen Nun Dalit, Ha'aron Nun Aleph. So he asks on what Rab Chaim explains according to Tosfos that Lo Yada Umachil is not a problem in Masnal Mashakosu Batora. It's a problem in the whole Tanai because how can someone agree to something that they don't know what they're agreeing to? So Rab Moshe asks, based on his interpretation of the Gemara in Subis, it's very clear that everyone, including Tosfos, has to hold that the whole issue is only in Masnal Mashakosu Batora. And they also quote that Rab Moshe Shmuel Shapir in his marginal comments of this piece. So he asks a very powerful question on Rab Chaim. Rab Chaim differentiates between Ona'a versus Shemitah and the husband because according to the Rambam, in the case of Shemitah and the husband, the person knows that they're agreeing to violate the rule of the Torah. They just don't know if it's going to come to fruition. As opposed to the case of Ona'a, where the person doesn't even know if there's Ona'a at all. So Rab Moshe Shmuel Shapiro asks that it sounds like the Rambam is talking about also a case where the buyer knows there is Ona'a, they just don't know how much Ona'a. So the buyer does know that this is overpriced by a sixth or more. They're just not clear exactly how much it's overpriced. So if that's the case, that would undercut Rab Chaim's whole approach because in that case, the buyer is agreeing fundamentally to waive the right of Ona'a. They just don't know exactly how much it is. According to Rab Chaim, that should be a case where the Tanai is valid because the buyer fundamentally agreed to waive the rules of Ona'a. But the Rambam seems to say in that case that the Tanai is Batel. So that's a very big difficulty on Rab Chaim's interpretation.